Would you stand with me to, and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, and if you need a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers would be glad to get one to you. Keep it up so they can see, and you can follow along with us there in the scripture. We're going to be uh, studying today Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 19. As you're getting there, you can be prepared for this passage, and uh, as we look to the Lord for what he's going to speak to us today. Let us read Ephesians 3, 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you so much for your word and we ask that By your word today, you would transform our lives, that you would work in us, God, that you would minister to us, that you would draw us closer to you. Lord, let us recognize today how desperate we are for more of you and less of us, how desperate we are for Jesus in our lives. So would you teach us your ways? Would you draw us closer to you? Lord, today, as we gather as a church, we want to pray for any who are sick or hurting among us, any who are maybe watching or joining us online who are sick or hurting, maybe can't even come out today. Lord, we just pray for your hand to be upon them, to heal, to strengthen, to restore. Lord, we need you. Lead us today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So, of course, today we continue our study through the book of Ephesians, uh, leaving off with last week this reminder that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Verse 12 reminds us of that, in whom, in Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. So through relationship with Jesus Christ, we can come boldly before the throne. We can enter in and, and have sweet fellowship with God directly. We don't need another person. We, we studied that. We talked about that last week, but we need that to be our springboard into this week. So that's why we bring that to uh, remembrance and, and, and that we can come with confidence before the Lord. And that brings us then into this, for this reason, I bow my knees. For this reason, I can come boldly. I can come into the presence of God because he's made a way, because Jesus has made a way for me to have direct access, to be able to have boldness, and I can come with confidence. I don't have to come in shame. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be intimidated. I can come to God directly because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because the veil is torn. 
because he's given me this direct access. And so now, for that reason, for this reason even further, that this mystery has been revealed, the mystery that is the church, this revelation from God, because of that, because of this revelation, because of this this boldness that I have, and because of this access that I have, I'm going to come to God. What do we do with the access that we have? Do we come, do we bow our knee before him, or do we just keep our distance and think that God is just somewhere up there in heaven, and he doesn't think about me or care about me? He does. That's what we've been studying all about, that we are his workmanship. This theme for Vacation Bible School this year that we shared with you guys, we are his masterpiece. It comes right out of Ephesians 2.10 that we've been focusing so much on, this focal point of this letter that we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, and the church is a part of his masterpiece, his glorious work of art. And so he's saying, for this reason, I bow my knees. Because of the relationship that I have with Jesus, I bow my knees. Because of the access that I have, I bow my knees. Because of this revelation that God has given me, I am amazed, I am in awe, and I bow my knees to God. Based on the mystery that is the church. Knowing God's purpose for the church. Knowing God's purpose For Paul himself, even in the previous verse, verse 13, he says, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. We talked last week about this purpose. Paul wasn't concerned about his chains. His chains had purpose. He was locked up, but he didn't care because he had purpose. And so here now, Paul, knowing this revelation that is from God, the mystery that is the church, knowing God's purpose for the church, knowing God's purpose for his life, which is to do the will of the Father, he prays. And he bows to his knees. As he says, I bow to my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's posture in prayer is a beautiful example of humility. And yes, he comes for this reason, because of this access, and with great boldness and confidence, he can come, but he doesn't come with boldness and confidence in pride. He comes in humility, and he bows his knees to the ground. Now, the common posture of prayer in that culture was actually to be standing with arms raised to the heavens. That was the common posture. That's how they would be praying, but now Paul bows to his knees. And Paul, he doesn't just speak of humility, but he acts in humility. In verse eight, we looked at last week, it says, I am less than the least of the saints. So he speaks in humility, but now he's giving an example of humility, that he's bowing his knees before the Lord in humility, demonstrating humility in his prayer life but now that most common prayer or culture uh, posture of prayer was standing in the culture with arms raised and it was significant that Paul did what was contrary to the culture 
Listen to this in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 54. And so it was when Solomon had finished praying all this prayer and supplication to the Lord that he arose from before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up to the heavens. Now Solomon, in this prayer in 1 Kings chapter 8, is dedicating the temple to the Lord. And in dedicating the temple to the Lord, he's on his knees. He's in a posture of humility before the Lord. Not common to the culture, which was to be standing with arms raised. He was on his knees. And so here's Paul in that same posture. And what we're going to be looking at today is this prayer of Paul. And in this prayer, it's not a dedication of the temple. It's a dedication of the church. Isn't it amazing how God's word just keeps fulfilling prophecy? It fulfills itself. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And now here, out of the death and resurrection of Christ is birthed the church. And now the church is being dedicated. Paul is praying this prayer of dedication for, over the church, dedicating the church to God. And as he's doing that, he's on his knees the same way that Solomon was on his knees and dedicating the temple that he had built to the Lord. And so Paul, praying this prayer of dedication, says it is to the Father, first of all. Unto the Father, all for his glory, recognizing the Father as the one who made the plan for redemption and for the church. And then he further goes on to say, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who executed the plan for redemption and made a way for the church. It was the Father who had the plan. Right before the foundation of the world, there was a plan for redemption. Jesus came and executed the plan for redemption and made a way for the church. We talked about that last week. And now, he gives glory to God, first of all. We, we model this in our prayers as Jesus did. Jesus gave the example, he said, our Father who art in heaven, a starting point being that you are praying unto God, the Father of all things, and now we see that into verse 15, <coughs> from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. God is the Father of all in heaven and all on earth. But we practice that in our prayer, starting our prayer with that place of honor to God. And we can say our Father, and even as Paul is saying, the Father of Jesus. Jesus is our Lord. He's, he's given this word and this, the, the gospel, which is Jesus, the work that Jesus has done in the cross. And he's sharing that truth with these Gentiles who beforehand were separated from the body of of the church, of, of this whole religious idea. The Gentiles were on the outside. Now they could be on the inside. The wall of separation is torn down. And this, this gospel, the good news, is that Jesus died and rose to make a way for them. And now, as he prays, he's dedicating the church to the Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ. He's giving that honor to God. And, and even in that saying, look, Jesus is our Lord. 
God is the Father, and here we get to have direct access. And so again, he's saying for this reason, we have direct access. All of us have this direct access. And for this reason, we pray to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is not just the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, but our Father, from whom all, the whole family in heaven and earth is named. In heaven and earth, the reference to those who have gone before as well as those who are here and now. We referenced last week even the principalities, the heavenly beings, the angels. He's the father of it all. In reference to the fact that the family of God goes beyond our little family, our little circles or spheres of influence. The family of God goes beyond Cornerstone Church. It goes beyond Calvary Chapel. It goes beyond any denomination. The family of God are those who are, as Ephesians tells us so many times, those who are in Christ, in fellowship and relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the family of God for all eternity. This is our Father. He is Father over all. We are family because of God's perfect plan and because of Jesus' perfect sacrifice. A reminder as well that God is Father over all, both Jew and Gentile, speaking once again of the unity that there is in the body of Christ. Verse 16, we continue as he says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. So now Paul gets into this introduction to prayer that he would grant you according to the riches. This is his prayer first unto God, a dedication of the church unto God, <coughs> that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. This is yet another focal point on the riches of God, God's economy, which is nothing like our economy. It is so far beyond our ways. It's so far beyond our comprehension. God's economy, God's riches, God's wealth. We've seen so far in chapter one, verse seven, the riches of his grace. In chapter two, verse four, we see that he is rich in mercy. We see in chapter three, verse 10, there's the riches of his wisdom. And now here in verse 16 of chapter three, the riches of his glory. We could just keep going on and on of the riches of God. They're never ending. This incredible wealth of God is never ending and it is incomprehensible. And so according to his riches or the riches of his glory, his glory is so infinite and so far beyond us we can't wrap our minds around it but yet he gives according to those riches now just to get a picture it's not out of the riches it is according to the riches out of the riches would be like if you had a billion dollars and you gave a dollar that's out of the riches not according to the riches if you had a billion dollars and you only gave a dollar that's kind of ridiculous isn't it 
But the reality is that it is out of, it's not out of, but according to the riches. With the measure of what God has is how God gives. Not just leftover. Not just, you know, hey, well, yeah, I got some grace somewhere out here. Here's a little piece of grace for you. But actually in this next chapter, in the next coming weeks in chapter four, we're going to see the abundance of his grace that is given and there's measures and measure and measure and measure and measure and measure and measure of grace that is given to everyone who is in the body of Christ. And that is manifested through various gifts within the body of Christ and what we have to give to the body of Christ. And this is all setting the stage for it. Paul is just ramping us up to chapter four. There was no chapter and verse separations in Paul's original letter. But, but for our purposes, he's ramping us up to chapter four here, getting this beautiful, glorious picture of God's riches and this is what he gives, not out of, but according to. And Paul is here setting up this prayer of dedication to the church, saying according to his glory is what we're gonna be given. The church, he's put so much into the church, into the people of God and to those who are in Christ. And it is starting with the recognition of the riches of God from whom all blessings flow. That's where anything would be granted from, that he would grant you out of his riches and now, or according to his riches, and now we get into the prayer. Now he starts to, to kind of make his list of prayer over the church. According to the riches of his glory, First of all, to be strengthened with might. Something that we, the church, are desperately in need of. Strength. We need to be strengthened. We will easily grow weary in this life. Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble or tribulation we talked about last week. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. What do we need? We need strength. We need strength to get through sometimes just the day that's in front of us. Right? I mean, I'm thinking back to when we first had kids. Our first, Hannah, when she was born, we did not sleep for the first three weeks of her life. We thought there was something wrong with her. We're like, what is going on? Why won't she sleep? And you guys, parents, you're all laughing. You're like, yep, been there. I know what you're talking about. And then we did the same thing th three more times and realized, oh, it's not just her, it's just babies. Maybe for some of you guys are like, oh, our baby slept, praise the Lord. I'm like, mm, not fair. <sighs> for three weeks, she didn't sleep. And then actually for like six years, she didn't sleep, right? So we, you know, but I remember the first time we, we took her, we were on the mission field. She was born here. Three weeks later, we left to Brazil. And that flight to Brazil was the most glorious 10 hours of that season of life because she slept the entire time. And so, I mean, sitting on an airplane, all crammed up, me and my wife literally sat down and for 10 hours. And then we went through the next, you know, several years of having another kid and another kid and another kid. And for all this time, we didn't sleep. 
And people ask, like, how do you do it? I'm like, I don't remember. <laughs> I didn't sleep, so I don't remember. Not, my brain wasn't even working. But I just remember each day, I'm waking up and be like, oh, I can't see straight. I can't think straight. Just praying, God, give me strength. Give my wife strength. I mean, all just dealing with, and that's just everyday, normal life when you have little ones, right? Well, then there's the next phase in life. The terrible two, three, four, five. (laughs) We had our kids so close, stacked up, so it was like terrible twos, terrible twos, terrible twos, terrible twos, terrible threes, terrible threes, it was just going on, right? But that reality is that we just needed strength. And we still, you know what? Today's no different. Now our youngest is seven, our oldest is 12. And, and we're like, hey, maybe things will get easier. No, it just changes. And that's just in parenting, right? But what about dealing with all the things? Maybe you got a really stressful job. Maybe your marriage is really suffering. You're going through things in life that just, it's so difficult. Maybe you've faced horrible circumstances in life. Things have just been stripped away from you. And life is, you feel like it's so impossible. We need strength. And that's a starting point for Paul's prayer for the church. We need strength in everyday life as individuals, as we are being remade into his image, his workmanship, We need strength. Now that's just on an individual level, everyday life. But man, look at what the church is up against. Forget about just living life and strength for today to survive because I haven't slept or because of you name it. But look at what the church is up against in the world. And Paul prayed for strength for the church. And again, we were introduced to it last week, the principalities and the powers of darkness. And later in this book, in this letter, in chapter six, we're gonna go heavily into the powers of darkness and the principalities and that we battle not against flesh and blood, right? And that reality is so difficult to handle, but Paul prayed for strength. This is the dedication of the church for strength. We start there. Now this strength is that we would stand against the enemy, that we would be able to overcome the difficulties of life. And this prayer for strength is an admission of weakness. We don't like to admit that we're weak. We don't like to admit that we need help. It takes humility. When Paul says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, when I am weak, you are strong. What do we want? Do we want to be strong or do we want to rely on the Lord's strength who is rich in grace and mercy and wisdom and glory? I think his strength is better than our strength. But we need to look to him as we recognize this and then he gets into where does this strength come from? As he says, that you would, uh, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Not our spirit, but he addresses our spirit, the inner man. 
but that we would be strengthened with, within our, not within ourselves, but with the Holy Spirit strength. The strength comes from the Holy Spirit in the inner man. The reality is what rules a man does not come from instinct or intellect or emotion or will or our conscience, right? It's, I mean, Jiminy Cricket was wrong. Always let your conscience be your guide. Let's let the Holy Spirit be your guide. But that's what Paul is saying. It's not about just the inner man, but it's about the Holy Spirit in the inner man. What rules a man is the spirit or the soul, the inner man as Paul puts it here. But God created the inner man or the human spirit to be able to receive the Holy Spirit. So therefore we do not have strength within ourselves, but we have the ability to receive the Holy Spirit. And Paul's prayer here is to recognize the need for strength that is outside of ourselves and to receive that strength that is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, then, we continue on in his prayer. And that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. That Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. The word dwell here is it means to make a permanent home. And this word in the Greek could mean two things, to kind of stop off and visit and to dwell temporarily or to dwell permanently, to make a permanent home. And this is the word to make a permanent home. Not just a visit once or a visit once in a while. Paul's prayer is that our hearts would be the permanent dwelling place of Christ. How? He says, by faith. Not just by a prayer of faith, but a commitment of faith. Living a life of faith. A relationship and fellowship with Jesus Christ. Faith is the operating principle, what makes us move in the spirit. But that's really hard though, isn't it? To live a life of faith, to walk by faith. That's okay because we don't have to do it on our own strength. As we just got through this, this last statement, that we would be strengthened in the spirit, in the inner man the spirit of God that is given. We have the power of the Holy Spirit to strengthen us and, the, and we have the power of the Holy Spirit to walk by faith. Then he says that you are being rooted and grounded in love. This is the third point of Paul's prayer. To be rooted and grounded. These are two different types of, of expressions or words uh, for different groups of people to understand. Rooted would be a word to the farmer, speaking of a, a proper soil to get started with. You know, I, I'm trying to plant some, to grow, not plant, I'm growing, trying to grow some grass in a bare spot in my backyard. I'm really bad at growing things in general, 
But, you know, I go back there, and it's like rock-hard, sandy soil. This is no good. I've tried before. I've failed. Why? Because this soil is horrible. So I get out there, I'm trying to break it up, and, and as I'm trying to break it up, I'm realizing how more rock hard and sandy it is, and, and you know, I just need to put some topsoil down, right? Get the right soil there that this, this seed, the grass, might get rooted properly. And so here, speaking of the proper soil, then he says to be grounded is a word to the builder, Speaking of a foundation. And both these expressions have the same idea. To have a good starting point. A good foundation. A proper foundation. And that proper foundation is love. And not the terms that the world would call love. Right? They say love is love. What does that mean? Right? Love is, fill in the blank, is really what the world is saying these days. Love is acceptance. Love is tolerance. Those are the things that the world would tell you. In fact, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, it tells us this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love is a response to sin. The outpouring of the love of Christ is a response to sin. So love is not tolerance. Love is not just acceptance. Love is the foundation. And our lives must be founded on love. Our service to the Lord must be founded on love. And Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 on love. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. You see, love is essential. It all starts with love. It starts with the love of God that is poured out on people. And then in that, we have a love relationship with God. We enter into that relationship with him. And then that poured out in us and through us would be a love for others. But we want to fast forward a lot of times and just be like, oh, love is love. Love others. The greatest commandment that Jesus gave is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. If you're properly loving, and John gets into this, and and first John is all about this, Right? If you properly have a love relationship with Jesus Christ and your focus is in the right place and your love for God is real, then the outpouring and the outworking of your love relationship with Jesus will be love for others. The foundation is love. Now Paul reminds the church of Ephesus that it's all about love. But now let's fast forward in Revelation chapter 2 
You don't have to turn there. I'll read it, verse two through five. It says this, I know your works. And this is a word written by John in the revelation of Jesus Christ, a word to the church of Ephesus, this church that this letter was written to. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Hey, praise the Lord, that's all great stuff. That's good looking church, right? Nevertheless, he says, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. This is the church of Ephesus. And this is the charge against them. Paul's prayer over the church, this dedication of the church, is that they would be rooted and grounded in love. They forgot something along the way. And they had a lot of good-looking programs in their church, a good-looking ministry, doing a lot of good things, but this one thing, and this one thing is the most essential that they needed to be rooted and grounded in. It's love. Love has to be the basis of the church. And so when we stand, and we need to be strengthened, right? We recognize that we're weak and we need strength. And when we try to stand against the world, so to speak, when we try to put out our social media posts, and try to make proclamations of all different sorts on social media. Is it rooted and grounded in love? Or is it trying to prove a point? Love must be the foundation of the church. It must be the foundation of our lives. It all comes back to the love relationship with Jesus. Verse 18, we continue then. Being rooted and grounded in love that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. This is number four, the fourth point of Paul's prayer of dedication of the church. That we may be able to comprehend. Having this, to comprehend is having a lasting knowledge and understanding to retain the information, not to just get through information. And I don't know about you guys, but in school I, was, I, I scored very low on the reading comprehension. Whenever you took the standardized tests and, and then you, your SATs, it's like the, the reading comprehension. I'm like, oh man, I just gotta get through it, right? When you're reading through those long stories they have for you and you're up against the clock and you're like, just read, 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 get over it quick. But I'm not comprehending in that. I'm just trying to read and get through line by line. The difference is that what we're talking about here is not a reading and comprehension. It is a comprehending and understanding that comes through only experience. Learning through experience. That we might learn through experience the dimensions of God's love. And here are the dimensions. 
which are actually gonna just tell us that there is no measurement to God's love. But based on our human minds, our finite minds, our understanding, let's talk about dimensions, is what Paul is saying. So let's talk about width. The width of God's love, it's wider than the sea, it's wider than the universe, wide enough to embrace the whole world with an outstretched arm as Jesus hung on a cross. The length of his love, his love, it stretches back beyond our existence and forward forever, on and on and on and on. That is the length of his love. How about the depth of his love? How deep is his love? Philippians chapter two, verse seven and eight says, let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. That's pretty low. He came from heaven to earth. The depth of his love but even further and then being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross. So God, fully exalted Jesus, sitting at the right hand of God, came from heaven to earth, lived a perfect life, but then was humbled even further. We're talking about the depth and how deep his love goes from heaven to earth to death to a criminal's death and then beyond descended and had victory over death. He was abused and beaten, mocked and scorned. Truly, the depth of his love is from glory to the grave. And how about the height of his love? Jesus rose from the dead in victory over sin, in victory over death, and ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the throne. That's the height. And we, as Ephesians chapter two, verse six tells us, he has made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. His love There is truly no earthly height, depth, width, length that can measure his love. Verse 19 then, as Paul says it, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How is it possible to comprehend the love of God. It all comes back to the cross. The love of God manifested toward us in Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying here is that this love and the dimensions of his love are so far beyond anything that we can comprehend. His love is to be comprehended. In our finite minds, we can't understand it. But the love of Christ, as he says in verse 19, is to be known. But then he says, but it surpasses knowledge. 
to know his love experientially, which passes knowledge intellectually. You see, we, but we try to put intellect on God, our intellect on God. We try to put God in the box of our minds, of our world, of our intellect, but it's so far beyond. But his love is to be known experientially. It has been revealed to us. Paul in verse 18 gives these dimensions of God's love as an illustration that on human terms, his love is immeasurable. That it is beyond intellectual knowledge, but it can be experienced as verse 19 tells us. It is to be known. And then he closes with this prayer. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul's final point in prayer of dedication of the church is that you may be filled with not just some, all of the fullness of God, that you might experience life in Christ, which is an abundant life. Experiencing the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. And God's fullness once again points us to God's riches, his economy, that he is rich in grace and mercy and wisdom and glory. That his riches are unfathomable but yet Paul prays in dedication of the church to the Father that we would experience the fullness of God. That is a big ask. Imagine walking up to a billionaire and saying, can I have it? How much? All of it. But see, Paul said we have Access. We can come with boldness. We don't have, we can come with confidence. And we, and Paul gives an example of what we can ask for. All the fullness of God. What is the fullness of God? It is Jesus Christ Himself. And we have opportunity for a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He has been given, and he is the fullness of God. This prayer altogether, that, as Paul prays, that the church might be like Jesus in character, in conduct, in conversation toward God and toward one another, so that in human terms, now what is the secret of the life of Jesus. If the prayer is that we be like Jesus, what was Jesus like? What was the secret? Obedience. To do the will of the Father. As Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, as he was in agony, seeking for strength, and praying, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He came, and Hebrews tells us, to do the will 
of the Father. So Paul's prayer for us, for the church, is that we be like Jesus. To do the will of the Father. To walk in his ways. To walk by faith. To make our heart his home. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. Founded on love. That is to experience the fullness of God. Let's pray. Father, we give you glory. As we study your word and as we see all the hope and promises of your word, we just thank you and we give you glory because you're so worthy. And we pray that you would work in our hearts. Lord, I pray for each one here in this room or joining us online. Lord, whoever is listening and that you would just work in our hearts individually and personally, Lord, that it wouldn't be a moment that we're looking around or thinking of another person, but just of our relationship with you and how desperate we are for you in our lives. We want to experience your fullness. So would you move in our hearts? If you're here today and you've never made a commitment to Jesus, you've never invited him into your life to be your Lord and Savior, all of what we are talking about is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus, he is a representation of the fullness of God. Fully God came and became fully man, lived a human life, lived a perfect life, and became the perfect sacrifice on the cross. Died for the sins of the world and rose from the dead in victory. What he asks of us is for relationship that we would confess that we are sinners and that we would walk by faith, that we would invite him into our lives, that we would allow him to be our Lord and that we would live our lives for him to bring him glory and to allow him to do great things in us and through us. We get all that blessing, spiritual blessing. And we get the gift of eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I invite you today, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, would you give your life to him? Would you make a commitment today to live a life of faith? you've never done that before I'm going to give you this opportunity and if you want to do that would you raise your hand 
would you put up your hand and say, I want a relationship with Jesus Christ. I see you. God bless you. Anybody else? You want to live your life for Jesus. You want to invite him into your life today. It's not worth fighting. We're talking about eternity. It's not worth fighting. Give your life to Jesus. Anybody else before we close? If you raise your hand, you could pray these simple words of a proclamation of what Christ has done and your belief in Him. Say, Dear Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner and I believe in you believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead. And I give you my life. I invite you in to be my Lord and my Savior. I want to make my heart your dwelling place. It's in Jesus' name.